0: Yesterday guest today has extensive experience across a diverse range of disciplines and sectors in the business, government and not-for-profit domains. Among many distinguished roles, she is the co-founder and chair of the Minerva Network, who bring together some of the most successful businesswomen across the country to mentor and support elite female athletes. She joins us today to talk about her myriad life experiences and her passion for bringing people together through education, sport, health and technology. Today's trailblazer is Christine McLaughlin, AM. hello and how are you
1: i'm terrific thanks stephanie and thank you so much for inviting me to join you i'm thrilled
0: to have a have a chat can i first say congratulations on the queen's birthday honors member of the order of australia for services to business the not-for-profit sector and women thoroughly deserved was it a thrill to receive oh it was just really thrilling it was so
1: exciting for me and also for my family you know just, we all feel um, invested in, in what we do as a family, so particularly around uh, sports and community inclusion. So it was terrific. I really I felt quite privileged and honoured.
0: Thank you. And in the, in the current environment that we live in, was it all done online in the post? Well, um, the announcement is made on Queen's
1: birthday weekend, but the actual investiture ceremony happens at Government House uh, and that was to be in September, but I've literally just received an email in the last 10 minutes uh, advising that will be deferred because of the lockdowns, but they've said it will happen. So it's it's a postponement rather <laughs> than cancellation. So it's all been, um, the actual ceremony hasn't taken place yet, but I'm really excited about that because I think the Australian governor is a remarkable woman. I think she's just so inspiring. So I will be there when it, when it happens. I'll be
0: there with bells on. Oh, can't wait for that. Looking forward to the to the pictures. Uh, you, of course, in your everyday life, you're so used to a lot of FaceTime, I'm guessing, with a real diverse range of people. What do things look like for you presently and in, in a COVID normal, if you like, in your life? Well, my
1: current lockdown situation is in Coogee in Sydney.
0: Um, so That's a nice place to be locked down. <laughs> it is.
1: A very, I feel very lucky to be locked down in Coogee. Um, so I've, I've been pretty disciplined and structured in lockdown um, during the week. So essentially, I get up in the morning uh, early and have a morning exercise routine, which usually involves our COVID puppy, Alfie, um, who's now uh, 18 months old, and he's a fully COVID puppy, actually. Uh, coffee made by my husband, uh, who's started to become... Uh, barista uh, as well as my hairdresser because I'm a 53 (laughs) in lockdown so he's cutting my hair for me and occasionally coloring it even though he's an actuary by background so you know don't look too close at the hair Uh, then I sort of uh, plan the menu for the day or the week because food has become an obsession and then I uh, hit the desk and I do a lot of zoom calls teams calls Skype meetings read and read documents to prepare for those meetings um, but as I say, you know, I feel fortunate I can do most of my, um, my job remotely, but I really miss people. Um, my youngest daughter is a doctor in one of the Sydney hospitals, and I'm very deeply aware of the challenges that the wonderful people who work in health have to navigate, um, both at work and then when they come home, um, given exposure risks. And then at the other end of the COVID spectrum, my son is now back in Germany living his life to the fullest as a cinematographer in countries that are operating with vaccine passports. So he's just been to Portugal um, filming professional athletes. So our family has the
0: full COVID spectrum. It has all flipped on its head hasn't it as far as uh, Australia is concerned. We were once the envy and can I just say for our listeners that Christine and I are chatting on a Zoom call and her husband's done a fantastic job with her hair so <laughs> hopefully he's, he's just as good on the barista front uh, but Christine everyone has of course had to adapt particularly in Sydney at the moment. What do you feel maybe won't return to normal? Do you think that when the world opens up or the country opens up, there are some procedures in your work that will stay the same?
1: It's an interesting question, because when um, when I, my normal pre-COVID world requires a lot of travel. Like I would be on a plane every fortnight. We also have a home in Queensland because I chair Sunforb. So pre-COVID I was spending a lot of my year in, in, um, in Queensland. I'm not traveling now. I'm doing everything that we can in business virtually. I'm no longer the weekend chef extraordinaire entertaining and catering for family and friends, <laughs> boisterous groups solving world problems. So COVID certainly changed the way I live and work, but not necessarily for the better for me because I'm a people mm. person. As you said at the start, I really like being with people and enjoy that, that stimulation. So I'm, I'm missing the spontaneous conversations, the con- spontaneous laughs that happen when you get together with special people, whether they be business people or, or friends. And there's no doubt in business that, you know, we miss the ability to brainstorm and bounce ideas off each other. Uh, and those incidental workplace conversations, that are really quite stimulating. So I, I'm not sure. There will be less travel, of course, because there will be so many more constraints on travel. But I think there's the human condition means that most of us do like to spend as, as much of our time collaborating as we can. There are some who may, may not return to a physical workplace environment. But again, that will depend on what they do. Very hard mm. to have sensitive business conversations or sensitive personal conversations in a virtual way. The tougher the conversations are, the easier it is if you can actually be in a room, and um, I find that that piece hard. But the only way we're going to move forward, really, Stephanie, is to vaccinate all of our populations and then see what plays out in terms of who resumes a sort of a, a travelling uh, in-office work type approach and, and who remains at home or virtually.
0: Well, you do have a very extensive CV, if you like. You mentioned being Chair of Sun Corporals of Destination New South Wales and the Nerva Network Chancellor of the University of Wollongong, among myriad other roles. How do you keep all those balls in the air?
1: <laughs> well, uh, you're right. I do find myself with a diverse and stimulating portfolio that I'm really passionate about. And I think that passion is what helps me juggle, do the literal ball juggling. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very disciplined and I do try to approach my weeks with structure. But I work with wonderful people and I've always been focused on leveraging the strengths of others as well as the power of the team. So, you know, I'm not the person who does it all. Uh, it's more of a stewardship role. So it's calling on and bringing out the very best in the people that work around me. i have also fortune because my family's always been very supportive of the fact that I my commitment to work, Um, And I know that helps. In fact, I think my kids liked the fact that I worked because I uh, (laughs) get involved in uh, their various (laughs) activities. And again, I try and keep a healthy exercise regime, a relatively healthy diet, spend time with wonderful friends, and then, you know, just head down, butt up, as they say. (laughs) Are you an extensive list maker? Uh, Yes and no. I make lists when I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning because I'm worried (laughs) I'm going to forget it when I actually get up at 530 But I've I've got a very good, very good memory. And I also find that if I do take time out to exercise or walk the dog or play golf, then things will come into my head. So, yeah, I make lists for my husband. I say, these are the things that you can do while I'm locked in the study. Uh, He doesn't like that very much, but I'm sure I'm
0: not the only wife in lockdown doing that. I'm sure you're not. Speaking of lockdown mode, put the Olympic Games firmly in the spotlight in Australia. It was really perfect timing after all the concerns about the Tokyo Olympics going ahead. Minerva athletes were front and centre. Can you share the concept of the Minerva Network and perhaps your inspiration behind it?
1: With pleasure. It's just a it's a really happy story. So essentially. After the Rio Olympics, uh, myself and some other businesswomen were approached by some of the returning athletes, and we'd already been having a dialogue with some of the non-Olympic athletes, like some of the cricketers and netballers, about what they needed to enable them to be successful, not on the field, but off the field. And so we brainstormed with about five of the athletes, so you'd know their names, Elisa Healy, Maddie Proud, Alicia Quirk, Ellie Carpenter. Emma Tomagato, about what it was that they needed to thrive off-field. And, of course, we had to have a name, so we looked to the gods for the name, and Nike was taken. Um, So we discovered Minerva, and she was the Roman goddess of wisdom, strategic warfare and poetry, all the central uh, attributes in different ways that we need to support our elite athletes. And so basically the group of businesswomen wanting to support our amazing professional athletes just grew because we're all passionate about the success of women and we're all um, vicariously wishing we we're as good at sport as these amazing athletes are. <laughs> and so there was no shortage of very very capable business women putting their hand up saying look I'm very happy to to mentor an athlete and it then became something that by word of mouth the athletes were seeing it add real real value to them. So they'd start to think about what their life was beyond sport or how they might commercialize their sporting prowess, whether they could improve their sponsorship arrangements, uh, how they manage social media, how they navigate negotiating with agents. So a lot of the business women were able to we match an individual athlete with an individual businesswoman in a mentoring relationship. And I know you've also been to some of the workshops that we have where we have you know particular topics that are of broader interest to the mentors and the mentees, whether that be financial affairs or brand and reputation on social media and the athletes then get to come together and meet each other and the beautiful thing about Tokyo is that you know this time you know the Australian team was in its own bubble that wasn't the beautiful thing the beautiful thing was that they knew so many from other sports because of their involvement with the Minerva network I in fact just did a seminar webinar last week for athletes in quarantine captive audience you might think (laughs) (laughs) It was, uh, it was just really <laughs> terrific to though in their hotel rooms, but, you know, they got really used to working with us last year over the Zoom. You know, I think that made them more effective in communicating back to their constituents uh, in Australia and fans around the world. We've now got uh, just over 200 athletes actively involved in the Minerva Network. We've got about the same number of mentors and we've got another 100 or so in the pipeline. And our goal is to be supporting 1,000 Amazing women athletes by 2025. And as you know, Stephanie, this is all pro bono. This is business women giving their time to these amazing young women. We do have some modest sponsorship from a couple of fabulous organisations, Accenture and Oricon, uh, and the New South Wales government has also given us some support. But it's really all driven by goodwill and a real desire
0: to see these amazing young women
1: thrive, you know, off the field as well as on the field.
0: And it's an extraordinary community feeling that's that's been engendered. And I know that's uh, particularly one that springs to mind is the the announcement of the Accenture support. And there are a couple of uh, men involved in the in the presentation as well. Do you think that balance is important? Oh, Absolutely critical. As we've matured over the last couple of years, more and more men
1: really excited to be involved. We have champions, which is which is a the role they feel like we've got. You know, people that you would know well like Bill Kearns, you know, his daughter Tilly, she's she's in our network, but you know, Mm -hmm. Phil passionate about supporting women athletes. But we have kept pure at this stage the mentor mentee arrangement, being a businesswoman mentoring a young woman. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have a lot of men involved in, in other ways
0: in helping us and supporting us in what we do. You mentioned Ellie Carpenter right at the start. There, She must have been about 15 when she came on board with the uh, Minerva Network. How exciting is that to have the opportunity to help shape an entire career and and set her on a a path that could take her anywhere?
1: Ellie Carpenter is absolutely extraordinary. When I first met Ellie, she was 16, so she came along to a first session with her mum. She was Arthur Stanley from Venues Live suggested she join us. And she was a relatively shy, not overly shy, but relatively shy young woman. And she came to this session when we were talking about how can we help the athletes? What would you like? What, what would you like from us? What can you learn from business women? So she's very excited to be there with these other athletes. And then a week later, after she turned, what's the age when you can drive with your P plates, 16 and nine months or whatever it was?
0: Yeah. Yep. Get an
1: email from Ellie a couple of months later saying, Oh, do you think Minerva can help me get a car? I need a car. <laughs> And uh, I said, Ellie, look, you know, really, I'm not sure that we can help you get a car, but we can, you know, suggest to you how you might approach different sponsors about, you know, getting a car. I said, so you need to, you need to come up with a proposition of who is Ellie Carpenter? What is your ambition? Why would you be someone that, you know, deserves a sponsorship, which, you know, involves a car? Anyway, hear nothing. Two weeks later, I get an email from Ellie. I've got a car. So she, she had put a pitch together, she put photos together and she was, uh, she was driving herself around, which is so, and her mother um, was remarkable. Her mother, I remember at the time when we met, said Ellie will be one of the best soccer players, football players in the world by the time that she's 21. And I think her mother is
0: absolutely right that Champions League medal hanging around her neck when she started with Leon absolutely extraordinary and the way that it sounds like you really empowered her it's not about just gifting them opportunity is it
1: oh they have to they have, they have to do it themselves they have to own it themselves and Ellie was also a very early adopter of social media and using you could see she's got a lot of followers on Insta and Twitter and she is always very savvy about how she uses social media some of the athletes it's been more of a journey they sort of putting a lot of their personal life out there, whereas this is a business for Ellie. And I really, I really admire that in her, which is one of the reasons why she's been so successful. And she's also just a really lovely person. When we were allowed to go to the stadium and and see her, she she always come up and the first thing she'd do, she'd just give you a big hug. And that's just the sort (laughs) of amazing young woman she
0: is. Another wonderful initiative that's perhaps more recent is your scholarship programme. I think that's a really important arm, if you like, to the Minerva Network, the importance of supporting education for athletes. Is that what you felt? Well, I think part of it's
1: about we can only do a small number of scholarships because you know it's it's not our core business and it is, you know, it's quite a big endeavor. But we do see it as important for athletes to see that their cohort, some people in their cohort, can study and gain tertiary or other professional qualifications, as well as be incredible on the field. And so what the scholarship program enables us to do is, you know, some of the athletes who just step forward and just showcase themselves, you know, absolutely beautifully. And all of the women athletes that we work with, most of them, they're balancing training, competing, studying, and then part-time jobs to pay the bill. So studying, we found, was always the first thing to go. So that was what was driving the scholarships. So we were very fortunate to find a couple of generous organisations who were happy to come in and be the inaugural scholarship providers. Yeah, it's, it's been a really terrific program. But what it has done is it's shown the other women that have it, you can do both. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands.
0: Chatting to business superwoman Christine McLaughlin. Tell us about your background. Am I right in thinking you're Berrigan born and bred? Do you know where Berrigan is? <laughs> yeah, I looked it up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Berrigan is a very, very small town on the New South Wales Victorian border, um, which is one of the reasons why I find these border closures so frustrating, because I was always a, a border, a border kid, right? So uh, I grew up, you know, going to Melbourne because it was closer than Sydney to watch what was then VFL. That was a special treat. <laughs> but, yes, I was, it was a country town with a population of 1,000. Um, so, basically, there was school and sport. That was it, really. And were you, were you an athlete yourself? I was probably the least athletic person you will ever meet. I was uh, <laughs> very much a, a nerd. I think that's the term they use. Um, but I always played sport because everybody played sport. You know, when you're in a small town, you you had to, had to have the numbers to make up the team. And then if, if, if you weren't picked for the netball team, then you'd be cutting the oranges. Um, so I played, I played netball, I played squash, I played tennis. I was always enthusiastic, but I was never the star.
0: How about as a, as a fan, did you follow sport? Were you a, a specific fan of an athlete or a team?
1: Well, We were very keen on, um, because my father was very involved in what we now know as AFL. So we, we followed AFL very closely. And we used to to love, you know, as I say, the privilege of going to the games at the MCG. That was such a treat as a kid. And I would follow the tennis very closely. I mean, Yvonne Gulabong is one of my, you know, she's just amazing. I remember um, watching her as a kid. And cricket, you know, grew up watching cricket, but we we're watching men's cricket, then not women's cricket. Women's cricket was never broadcast, even though there were some amazing women playing cricket some time ago. And yeah, I just just we grew up watching watching sport um, as most families. Did then uh, there wasn't Netflix there wasn't Stan there wasn't Foxtel it was uh, mainstream TV and sport and in a small community when you have you know religious um, you know people tend to be congregated in those days around churches you go to the sporting field whether it's a football field or netball or whatever and then um, the denomination was left at the door it was your team you were going for your team and a lot of town rivalry in those small country towns so it became sort of embedded that sort of um, real team spirit, which was wonderful.
0: Now, you used the term nerd, and I'm going to say that's your word, not mine, but I'm guessing that meant you were probably a, a keen student. Did you have a clear goal as a, as a kid? Did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up, as it were?
1: I just knew I wanted to be good at what I did. I didn't know what it was I wanted to do. But I was also – I was one of those – Beneficiaries of the old composite class. Do you remember the composite classes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very very small, country town Catholic school with the nuns with the rulers. When you didn't do the right thing, <laughs> but that was when you put kids on the wrist. So I was in a composite class for years one, two, and three, and so and, and I would always gravitate to whatever the year above me was doing. So looking back with hindsight, that actually forced me to lift and continue to lift my own expectations. And, um, and I had some terrific primary school teachers, which is amazing for a small country school who really just kept trying to push me and it pushed me more and more and more. So by the time I got to high school, which is again, was a local high school, I was a small fish in a bigger pond, but I was a small fish with a bit of confidence in a bigger pond, um, but it took me some time
0: to really establish my confidence there. Well, you established enough confidence and clearly some very good marks to go into arts law at ANU. Why did you decide on a pathway into law? Well, I was always going to be a physiotherapist, and um... (laughs) they're almost the same.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And my maths teacher um, at the time uh, took me aside one day. I still I can see the picture sitting on the high school. playground and he said "Um, have you ever thought about studying law and I said well no I don't really know any lawyers and he said oh there's this chap who's the town lawyer but he was exactly that he was a chap that was a town lawyer and I said well I suppose I could have a look at what it is he said well you know you might actually find that your marks and your background is you know you'll thrive in law you know I was actually very very good um, at the, the the arts subjects I suppose Anyway, so I applied to ANU for law and I also applied to Melbourne and Sydney for physiotherapy. And I I was accepted into Victoria for physio, Sydney for physio and Canberra for law. And so my father uh, put me in the back of the Ford and drove me down to Melbourne to have a look at the institution there. And I said, no, I can't go here. It's, you know, it's too busy. It's too congested. You know, Melbourne's a big city. And so then we drove to Sydney and I that sort of thought, thought that was a bit of a stretch as well. And then we drove to Canberra and all I could see were big trees and playgrounds and tennis courts and a nice library. And I said, oh, I think I'll go to ANU. Oh, that means I'm studying law. That's how scientific it <laughs> was. <laughs> the rest, as they say, I actually, I really did enjoy law. I was very, very fortunate to have that mentor prod me in that direction. So I did, I did enjoy it. Um, and I made some wonderful friends living on campus at ANU who are still friends, lifetime friends. Uh, it was a really terrific experience.
0: That is a fabulous way to choose a career path, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> when you were looking to specialise within the law field, did you end up pursuing a particular bent?
1: Well, again, I ended up being very fortunate because we had, in those days, the big law firms from Sydney would come to ANU and interview all of the students who wanted to go and work at one of the firms. And uh, I, ha- I was interviewed by a partner of then Allen's uh, by the name of Tony Hartnell. And Tony's quite a character. He certainly was a character then. And um, Tony decided that he thought I would be actually quite interesting to have as you know, a young uh, lawyer. And so he and a couple of the other lawyers in from Allen's decided that they would really work on encouraging me to, to go there. And so then when I was talking with my parents about whether I should go there or other places I had an offer, and I was talking about how much these people were saying they would do for me, they said, well, you should always go where people want you because they know more about where you're going than you did. So I, I chose, uh, he chose me, they chose me and then um, he took me under his wing when I went to Allen's and uh so he was my mentor in my, my early years. There were 36 students who were taken into Allen's. I think that was in 1987, five of them women. Wow. That was why it was so terrific to have a senior male partner as a very active and interested mentor. And he's still a family friend.
0: Oh, fantastic. And was that your first uh, real job, if you like, in inverted commas? <laughs>
1: Well, that was my first job as a professional. I mean, I'm on the record as saying my first real paid job was um, um, basically germinating wheat for my father, who was a grain agent for well, 20 cents a bowl. But um, no, that was <laughs> being. And, and then when I was at university, I um, used to work on Weybridge's weigh uh, weighing trucks and chatting up farmers and getting paid a very good salary by the Grain Handling Authority. So, yeah, but the, law, the, the lawyer job was my first real job, yeah.
0: You've had such an impressive professional trajectory. Have you felt like the environment that you've worked in has always been as welcoming as the one you found at Allen's?
1: Um, Look, it was really it was very tough being a young female lawyer in a law firm. Don't get me wrong. I mean, and I think it still is. Uh, And I think it's, I think it's still difficult for women um, in professional. Environments and in large organisations, because of these expectations, this sort of dual expectations about the work requirements and the home requirements, if you like, that workplaces have got much much better at that. Like I know at SunCorp, for example, you know we really take pride in how much time we spend thinking about creating flexible work environments for working parents, for example, whether they be the men or the women or our employees, who are carers, have carer responsibilities as well. And one of the one of the good things out of COVID, you have been a couple of good things, but still wouldn't wish it on us again for anything. But it's caused employers to think far more holistically about the employee. So what is the what is the experience that Stephanie is bringing into the work environment today? You know how, you, you know what what is happening around you, and are we putting too many demands on you so we're having different we're having much better conversations now all big organizations are having much better conversations now around that work-life balance because we've all been forced to you know basically people's homes are now being used as our office so we have introduced our workplace into your home so we need to respect that that wouldn't have happened 35 years ago you're listening to trailblazers with stephanie Brands
0: trailblazer today is christine mclaughlin am tell me your mentors and role models was, was that just all happenstance or did you go looking for people you, you mentioned the the lawyer that brought you into to allens was that the first time you had someone really mentoring you Oh well i had my maths teacher mentoring me remember
1: when we okay. school? and then uh no i've always i've always just happenstance mentors um people that I've worked in in business. Uh, And and most all of my mentors have really been men, which is interesting. I think they've just decided that they will um, uh, look out for me and give me some guidance and give me a prod, encourage me to take some bigger, riskier steps. And so I've been very fortunate in that way. But, you know, I quite often say to women now, if they're in male-dominated environments, sometimes you're better off having a male mentor than a female mentor, because if it's if it's going to help you navigate the work environment, you're in better. I mean, women make wonderful mentors, but so do men, you know.
0: And your career path, do you have specific times when you feel like you learned really important lessons or sometimes experiences that weren't easy that really helped you to progress?
1: Oh, look, definitely. I've had a number of times in my career when I have been dealing with really, really tough business issues standing at the edge of the precipice having to make big decisions not always necessarily popular decisions making sure you hear all voices and then be very clear but always listening I think you know sometimes we see when mistakes are often made it's when people don't stop and take advice or when people don't realize that they're in the middle of a war zone because quite often when you're going through a crisis it is like being in a war zone but because you're so in it, you don't realize you're there and I think that's one of the things that I'm finding with mentoring women athletes. It's fantastic because they get so caught up in the, the moment of where they are now that to look over the next horizon um, is more of a challenge. And I think that's where having, having a mentor comes into it. So I think that's one of the reasons why, because I have been fortunate at those tough times, I, I came through them. And there's probably, you know, many war stories I could bore you with, but uh, always having someone that you can use as a sounding board, someone who you respect as a sounding board, but still be able to hold your own counsel um, if you are the expert, I think it's quite important. Most of the mistakes in
0: business are around people. It's always people. <laughs> Christine, you sit at the top of the tree in, in pretty much all your fields. Do you feel like that the landscape has significantly changed for women in senior positions?
1: I think it's still got quite a way to go, Stephanie. Yeah, it's changed it's definitely changed and there are some extraordinary women um, who I see across business sport government not-for-profit you know every every aspect of what we do but I think there is still a very long way to go I had the great privilege the past 18 months of sitting on the G20 Empower initiative um, which is yeah. essentially working with G20 countries and looking at in this case, we started to look at what the COVID implications were for women in the workforce, and it became very clear very quickly that um, there's a growing gap, technology gap, STEM gap we call it here, for women. So women, as partly a result of COVID, having to step back from the workplace. So, yeah, we, I think it's it's got better, but it's not good enough. You know, we have to look at how we re-educate women in our workplaces, men in our workplaces, to be match fit for this new technology war that we're entering. But no, we've still got a long way to go. We've still got a long way to go. And we need to support each other.
0: Well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there's been an increasing amount of conversation around the number of women who have seats at boardroom tables and how we balance those numbers up how do you strike that balance because it's not a case and i think we would do ourselves as women a disservice if we shoehorn them into roles that they're not ready for or not qualified for but how, how do you make that balance with getting enough women but making sure you have the right ones as well
1: well i think the pipeline is really important and i think you know it's very easy to quickly go to women on boards but the reality is you need to have pipelines through organisations where you are developing women as well as men to grow into their next roles. And so that needs to be a conscious effort across all levels. And we always, we do simple things, like we always ensure when we're um, recruiting for roles, whether that's looking for new execs or looking for board members, you will always have men and women on the list. And if, you know, we usually use professional search firms and if they're not presenting us with a mix of male and female candidates, then they can go back to the drawing board. So it's, you know, you have to be quite um, open-minded too about and be aware of what it is that you're looking for. Sometimes if you have a particular skill set that you must must have and you, there might not be a woman candidate and so you do have to, to take that decision. And that's why I think this technology gap Stephanie, is really one we have to watch as a country because the technology-based jobs are primarily filled by men so we need to encourage more young girls even while they're at school to see themselves as data engineers to see themselves as data scientists to see themselves as technologists to see themselves as having a seat at the table in all of those fields which is so exciting I mean wouldn't I love to come back and to be able to sort of be an architect of some great artificial intelligence solution <laughs> to world poverty wouldn't that be amazing you know This next generation, if we give them the right skills, they'll be able to solve problems that we've been scratching our head about for
0: years. What are you talking about? Wouldn't it be great? I feel like that's still out there for you to do.
1: Probably, probably, yeah. I I attended a course a few years ago at Singularity University, which is on NASA campus in the States, pre-COVID, when you could go places. And uh, Uh, it was was about uh, exponential technology, and I felt that this would be a really good, course for me to do because I was then you know building my board career and when I went I didn't actually know what exponential technology was so I sort of I, I slid into the course feeling very nervous and it was one of the most empowering things that I've done in recent years I just threw myself in there and uh, it's been fascinating also to watch a lot of the things that we were studying in so that would have been five years ago come to fruition. And I was at my golf club the other day and the security guard was flying a drone around to check the borders. Can you believe it?
0: (laughs) That's really cool. (laughs) The developments in some of those fields have been absolutely extraordinary. How about the landscape for female athletes? That, as you mentioned with the Minerva women, has grown in leaps and bounds. Do you see a point where we're going to have the majority of the female athlete cohort on equitable financial terms as the guys? I think I think it has to happen. It's going to
1: happen. I was reminding the athletes last week, the Olympic athletes, that in 1912, we, th- we sent our first two female swimmers off to uh, Stockholm, Fanny Jurak and Mina Wiley. And mm-hmm. uh, Tokyo 2021, 20, we had over half the team were women. And my goodness, they are extraordinary. And the last major, major sporting event that I attended, women's sporting event, was the women playing at the ICC T20 at the MCG last year. Uh, An Australian women's cricket team won. And the whole nation, the whole world knew about it. And then Suncorp Super Netball. You know, it's a a household sport now. I mean, we're all watching it on Saturdays and I can't wait for the upcoming um, grand final. So, you know, there's just such a a wave now Uh, we've got the FIFA Women's World Cup in 2023 Um, we've got the international basketball we've got there's also the 2027 Netball World Cup so I just think there's a momentum here that is going to mean that the commercial terms are going to have to start to become more similar there'll always be some sports that are you know outliers that are paid terrific amounts of money but I think there'll need to be much more equity in terms of recognising uh, women in sport.
0: You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brans, Co-founder and chair of the Minerva Network, Christine McLaughlin, is our trailblazer today. Christine, you mentioned your children. They sound like they're incredibly successful in their own fields. Did you give them any advice when they were growing up, or is that just different when it comes from mum?
1: It's <laughs> really interesting because my kids were always more interested in what I was doing in the not-for-profit space than in the business space. And so they were always very interested. I was on the board of the Smith family for 10 years or nine years. And the Smith family does a lot of work with obviously kids that are less, have less advantage in, in education. Mm. And I involved our kids in you know, a number of the initiatives that we were doing there. So sort of a, a nice reminder for our kids about how fortunate they were. But I think um, my husband and I have always just said, follow your passions, follow your dreams. And sometimes, you know, that's been harder than others for some of them, harder than others. But it's just, look, if you can't see yourself as being passionate about it and excited about it, then it's probably not going to work. And they've all, I remember when my youngest came home and I think she was about to start her fourth year of medicine at Newcastle. And she said, I'm going to do this. And she'd gone straight from school. I'm going to do this internship on Lord Howe Island. And I said, oh, I didn't even know they had a hospital on Lord Howe Island. And she said, oh, no, it's a Paddy Divers internship. And I'm going, but you're studying medicine. What's going on? <laughs> and she said, oh, I just, I just really got this passion and I really want to do it. And it's only six months and I'll come back as a qualified instructor. And so that was, you know, I'm thinking, I'm not sure. What if she doesn't come back? But, you know, she's, we've always said follow your passions. So she went off, did her diving certificate, and now she's, as I say, a qualified doctor. But, you know, that gave her a life perspective and, and a passion that she loved. Similarly, our son, he went off to Germany to work with GoPro when they first set up a European um, operation. And he's wow. basically lived the dream, you know, following um, athletes around the world, filming, filming some of the household names that you would know, doing um, pretty crazy things and our eldest is uh, a passionate uh, and beautiful teacher so they've all they're all doing what they wanted to do and they they sort of landed there themselves
0: without too much guidance from us it sounds like you would have a lot of travel on your hands uh, keeping track of them in normal times and as well as all the travel that you mentioned that you would normally be doing for work what's the most unusual place you've traveled to well uh, my screensaver
1: actually is a photo of our family uh, taken three years ago on Galapagos, in Galapagos. And that is, without a doubt, the most magnificent experience we've had um, in terms of holidays, remarkable, you know, the sea life, the history, the people. So that was really, I mean, back in the day when one could travel. <laughs> but not you find some of the screensavers you have now are even more special than ever before. And so we've got this photo in front of me of a blue-footed booby. Um, which is unique to Galapagos, which is a bird. Um, Oh, thank you. I was about to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Blue-footed booby uh, in a nest with the little baby birds and us sitting around it. And that just, to me, encapsulates probably one of the most beautiful countries, beautiful people and real history. Uh, So that was probably one of the most out there
0: places that we've travelled to. That sounds gorgeous, and then not one that many people would have on their uh, their list of experiences. And, and yes, I agree, all the reminders that your, your computer throws up at the moment, memories of where you were three years ago, four years ago, and you think, wow, i forgot forgotten what that was like. But uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Tra- travel was a gift that uh, perhaps we even took for granted at one point, but y- you've created so many wonderful memories in your personal life and your professional life. Do you have something in your career that you would consider a highlight?
1: Uh, that's a really hard question to answer. I mean, I, I, I've I just had so many times when I've just really felt quite fulfilled by what I'm doing. Um, and I think probably the biggest highlights are the things that I've done in the not-for-profit sector because you really know that you're bringing, I'm bringing my business skills, my life skills into an environment where it's really making a difference. So probably different things that, I did when I was on the board of the Smith family, of the McGrath Foundation, and now the Minerva Network um, and even the university, which is also a pro bono role. That's when, you know, I, I feel like this is all of the other things that I've done have really been setting me up to enable me to do this. And, yeah, and, and even having the, I guess, the passion and the conviction to get the momentum
0: we have behind the Minerva Network, I feel very, very proud about that. Indeed, and they're all quite different aspects, aren't they, and, and different areas where you're helping people. I've, I've done a little bit with the McGrath Foundation and the work that they do is extraordinary. Were you amazed at how much that took off, if you like, after its inception? Well, yes
1: and no, because the passion that Glenn McGrath brings to that and the passion that Tracy Bevan brings to that and mm. the passion of the nurses and the fact that, you know, breast cancer touches everybody really in Australia, if, it, if there's not, I don't know anyone who doesn't know someone who hasn't uh, been touched by it and coordinating it with cricket, you know, that uh, I think that's when it really got momentum, you know, the pink test and really then Glenn using his profile and influence in a way that, you know, appealed to, I guess, the communities, the sports side, as well as the um, the human side. So, yeah, I think, um, and I still think the McGrath Foundation is going to go on to do even bigger things it's uh it's a really terrific
0: yeah the future is bright in, in many of the things that you're touching at the moment uh the minerva network i guess is, is front of mind at the moment just because we've just seen the olympics and i know that you had a lot of lot of athletes involved uh, are there any that you feel we should be keeping an eye on ones that perhaps uh, are going to be coming to the fore olympians
1: or others uh I, I, look i think any I'm, of your athletes well you know I actually feel like I'm conflicted because I believe in every single one of them. And <laughs> of I,
0: course you do. <laughs> and,
1: I think, and I think when I look at um, each sport that I see through the Minerva Network, there are always two or three individuals who the, I guess, the figures that really strike you as having that leadership capability as well as the sporting capability. And so they are the ones that are really shaping the sport. So, and they, and they're, all, they're, they're household names. We're making them household names as I say, Rachel Haynes, Annalisa Healy in cricket, you know, Maddie Proud, um, Paige, uh, Amy Parmenta in netball, they're all remarkable. Ellie Carpenter, we've talked about. She's amazing. I was talking last week with some of the Sevens girls in quarantine, you know, Emma Tomagato and Dom de Trois. Um, I mean, the list goes on. The swimmers, you know, I mean, I can't it's impossible there are I think every sport has some who are really going to help others dream a bigger dream and also support them as they transition so given we've got almost well over 200 now involved I would prefer not to name names I'm going to upset somebody
0: (laughs) no that's a fair shout how about for the Christine McLaughlin crystal ball is there anything you haven't done that you see in your future that you'd still like to do to check off on your list as it were well, I think you touched on it
1: before when you talked about uh, achieving equity for women in sport, in professional sport. I mean, I think that would, I would, that would feel pretty cool. You know, I mean, I'm already pretty old, so I've got to set achievable goals. <laughs> um, but, you know, if we can, if we could be, if we get to 2030 and know that there is true equity for our amazing women athletes in all sports, I think that would be something that would really make me pretty
0: excited and happy to retire on. Christine McLaughlin, you've achieved so much already, 24 hours in a day, and it sounds like you need a few more to fit everything. And so we're <laughs> immensely grateful that you've spent an hour of it with us to share your story on Trailblazers. Thank you.